It's a really awesome season as we, as we come and we think about the birth of Jesus Christ again, isn't it? And it's one of those things, it's like Jesus' life isn't defined just by his birth, but everything that came after that. Um, but we, can, we, we get used to sort of nice and cuddly Jesus, Jesus in a manger. And I, I love how Nathan started off our series last week by actually pointing out that Jesus was a king and he has a kingdom as well. And that him coming back, him coming to earth and being born amongst us, growing up amongst us, was about establishing the kingdom of heaven here on the earth and taking back what was lost. And it was just, yeah, amazing job with that for, for, for you, Nathan. As I was thinking about today and what we're going to talk about today, um, it's just this topic I, I really want to share, but I, what got me thinking was New Year's resolutions. And I know we're not in January right now, like right now it's eating season, it's bulking season. Um, I ride a bike and it's snowing outside, so I can't exercise, I have to eat. That's my mission in life right now. Uh, I was on a diet, it's gone off the rails, I can confirm. And the New Year's resolutions will come, right? January 1st comes around and you're like, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to do a better thing in this next season. December was great. December was about enjoying life and all this other stuff, celebrating family and just eating as much as we can. And then the new year comes around and we, we concentrate on all the things that we need to get back and we need to, we, we need to do. Think about some of the most popular New Year's resolutions out there. Like probably the biggest one is losing weight, right? Losing weight, that'll be, that'll be on my list. Maybe it's, oh yeah, after Christmas, I gotta be a bit better with my finances. I was a bit too happy, a bit too, too splurgy. Uh, the deals weren't that great on Black Friday, but I still bought what I wanted, all that kind of stuff. And we, we commit to these New Year's resolutions, and, and how, off, how far do they last into the, into the future? Do you have, guys have great success with New Year's resolutions? Who's really good at New Year's resolutions in the room here? Oh, I thought Paul was almost lifting up his hand, but I don't know if it's just the bright lights. I can see one person raising their hand saying they're really good with New Year's resolutions. Why is that? Why are we so bad at New Year's resolutions, even though the thing that they promised to give us could completely change our lives in some regards? You know, losing all that weight or, or going on that going to that place, making that big life decision. Why, when the promise is so good, do, do they never sort of materialize? And I think if we can easily think about it, it can sort of be, well, the idea is great, the concept is great, but just having an idea, just writing something down, just trying to commit and get behind it and grit onto it, you know, it doesn't actually help us see it through. To see some of the dreams, to see some of the big ideas come through, we need help. And the reason why I was thinking about New Year's resolution and maybe, you know, heralding in January a bit too early for you is today I wanted to talk about actually the world that Jesus came into and one of the things that he has gifted to us. The series that we're talking about is why did Jesus come? And the, the thing that I want to talk about today is I believe the very, one of the very central reasons for why he came. You see, the world that Jesus came into was a world of law. It was a world of resolutions. It was a world of you must do this, 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 not just 10 things, but hundreds and hundreds of things that you had to do to be righteous with God. 
In Galatians 3.19, it says, why? Why the law? Why then the law? And the law was added by God to his people because of sin in the world, because of transgressions. And through, through Moses, who came, who, who went up to Mount Sinai, the, the, got the Ten Commandments and all of that, God's people suddenly knew how to be right with God. They suddenly knew all that God required. They knew how to be righteous. But the issue was, is the law didn't help them at all with doing any of this stuff. Who likes laws? Man, about as many of you who like resolutions. I think we all like laws in some ways. The, the do not murder, murder law is really handy. Otherwise, I'd probably be murdered by my wife by now so that she keeps that one. That's perfect. Uh, the, the laws are helpful in general. We need them to be there. But they don't sort of make us a better person. We'll turn there later in our Bibles. But the book of Romans is all about examining what life was like before Jesus and what life is like now after Jesus for those who are in him. And in Romans chapter 7, the writer uh, introduces this interesting idea to us. And he sort of compares the law to being married to sort of the perfect husband. Who's married to the perfect husband here? I'm going to put my hand down because I am the perfect husband. Oh, I actually saw Andre. Good, good, good thought there. <laughs> yeah, Jacqueline says you're perfect. But I'm going to argue that maybe Andre's not the perfect husband. Um, but the writer in Romans 7 compares the law to this. It's like being married to the perfect husband. And that was like the law for God's people. You see, being married to the perfect husband, that's theoretically great, right? right? They're great at cooking. They're great at all the things. Maybe they look great. They're chiseled. They never get old. They're always healthy and, and just perfect. They never get mad, all this other stuff. But the reality is the husband that you were married into in, in the law, in the Old Testament, he was a perfect husband, but he didn't lift a finger to help you at all. It's kind of the same with our laws in our society today. Like, we have the same law, don't murder. Now, that law doesn't help you not murder. It just says, if you do, I'm going to punish you greatly. So in a sense, it kind of helps us not murder, right? But in another sense, it doesn't do anything to help us be better people. And imagine if you were married to the perfect person. And my wife, she is as perfect as can be uh, with Jesus, but she's not perfect. But if she was perfect and she didn't lift a finger to help me, she could point out everything that was wrong with me. If you, I think about it in terms of, you know, following someone on Instagram or something like that. We follow these families or you follow these people. Whatever stage of life at, you follow other people on Instagram in your stage of life. And you follow what it looks like a perfect feed of their life. And, and after a while of, of following that, after seeing perfection and, and in your own life, not being able to live up to those values, live up to those amazing things that those people are doing, living up to never yelling at your kids or being the perfect parent or any anything like that, you start to feel what? You start to feel hopeless. You start to feel, hey, I'm glad this, is, this law is great. I'm glad that this thing is really great, but it's actually not help, helping me. Being the law that God's people were under in the Old Testament was like a husband, but a husband that wouldn't lift a finger to help you live rightly with God. 
In Romans 3 verse 20, in the NLT, it says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Perfect. Being married to that perfect husband simply showed how bad they were in that, in that relationship. It's like, hey, I'm perfect. Look at you. You're not doing so great. Who wants to be in that marriage? At first, you wanted to be married to the perfect husband or wife, but now you realize actually being married to someone who's perfect would actually show how bad I am in comparison. James 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails on just one point becomes guilty of all of it. Again, the law that the God's people were under was this thing that was unachievable. Because although some people came to Jesus in the, in the Gospels and said, I've kept all the law, we know the reality is that at one point, for one second, they must have slipped up, had a bad thought, did a bad deed or something like that. And we ask ourselves, so what then is the significance of Jesus on this? In Galatians 3.24 it talks, talks, the same writer, but in a different letter, says this about the same law. He says, so then the law was our guardian. The law was put there by God, given to Moses. It was good. It showed, it, it showed us how to live. It was the guardian. But then he continues in verse 24. It says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we may be justified by, by faith. And in Romans 3.21, again, earlier before he talks about being married to this perfect husband, he says, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. And church, when we were, when we were li li thinking about the Christmas season, and I was just dwelling on what I, do I think is really important for, our, for God's people to hear this morning. I want to remind us of what God has come to do. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. You see, the law in the Old Testament displayed the righteousness of God. It displayed what it meant to be perfect. If you did all these things, if you fulfilled all of that, you could be at peace with God and be part of his family. But as you know, none of them could live up to that. And they needed to sacrifice, they needed to sacrifice, and they needed to sacrifice to get back right with God. Someone had to deal with the dirty stuff because they could never be clean in their own strength. So I want to say, why did Jesus come? But the headline for us this morning is that why did Jesus come? He came to set us free from the law. He came to set us free from the law and give us the free gift of righteousness by grace. In John 1, so this is one of the Gospels, one of the four accounts that tell uh, the, the amazing nativity story of, of why Jesus came and all this other stuff. But the John, in his, in his Gospel account from verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh, so that's Jesus, the Word of God, becoming flesh, that little baby, and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. And then he continues in verse 16, he says, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, that law, that perfect husband was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is, who is at the Father's side, he who has made him known. Jesus came so that we no longer would be married to that perfect husband that didn't lift a finger to help us be right with God. Does that sound like good news? It sounds like good news to me. Jesus, talking about himself in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, but I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. We know that a common theme in the Bible is this theme of marriage. A lot of the time the Bible talks about marriage to talk about our relationship with God or what that means. A common theme in the Bible is actually the, that we are the bride of Christ. That we are the bride of Christ. It's a bit strange for me as a very masculine guy to think of myself as the bride of Christ. But I'll go along with it. It's in scripture. I'll, 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 I'll go for it. And it, it, the picture is there, right, that there is, a, there is a new husband for the people of God. And I want to say to us this morning, here is that Jesus is a better husband, church. Jesus is a better husband. And it, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. But his relationship to, to us is completely different. See, for the, for the church of old, for God's people of old before Christ, they had the righteousness of God living amongst them. It was the word of God. It was the law. But it didn't lift a finger. Jesus is completely the other way. He came and he lived amongst us. He healed us. He spent time with us. He prophesied over us. He spoke to us. He brought us into the fold. He cast out the demons. He cast out the bad things. And he brought us through. Jesus is a way better husband than the law. Would you agree? I would agree. And we are now in Christ church. In Romans chapter 7, where I said earlier we get this idea from, it says in Romans chapter 7 verse 2, for a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. So for me and Camilla, we've, we've made a declaration, till death do us part. We are bound to one another until one of us dies according to our vows. For a married woman is bound to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. And then from verse 4, he continues, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another. Who, who, who wishes that their spouse was death? No, nobody does that. Siri's trying to interrupt me as well. But the only way out of a marriage is death. And the only way out of our previous marriage to the law was death as well. But it's not death by us. It's the death of Christ and him coming to fulfill that with us. It says, we have been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit of God. For while we were living in the flesh by our sinful passions aroused by the law, that even our sinful passions were aroused by the law, we were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not of the old way in the written code. And church, the thing that I want to remind you of here this morning, or maybe if you haven't met God before, you don't know much about Jesus, maybe you're learning this for the first time, is that I want to remind you that you are dead to the law, <laughs> 
that actually your old husband that would condemn you, that would say how bad you are, that would point out all your flaws and say, look, ah, you're, not, you're not quite right there. Look how you've messed up there. Look how you haven't met up to what even just you decided in those resolutions to do. That you have actually died to those things and been made new in Christ Jesus. And it's an amazing truth. It says that we have died to what held us captive. It's strange to think that. We have actually died to what held us captive. And the law, even though the law in itself was good, it didn't offer a final solution, a way out. It was just really good at saying how we should live. But Jesus gives us a way out. And now in the new way of the Spirit, we serve him. I want to say that when we're married to the new husband here, that there is strength for us. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is Christ Jesus. I don't think anywhere in Scripture it said, Be strengthened by the law of God, just by knowing that. Just, that will give you strength. No, Jesus gives us strength by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, brothers and sisters here this morning, Jesus is the perfect husband. But guess what? With each one of our failures, he offers to help. He says, when you're weak, when you can't do it, when you've failed to what you committed to, maybe when your life is in tatters, actually, I want to show my strength in your weakness. The law never wanted to show strength in weakness. The law just wanted to show law in weakness and how bad you were. But Christ Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Church, there is an amazing amount of us that need to hear this message here this morning. Because... I was challenged as I was preparing for this word and wanting to talk about grace. And, you know, this is an elementary teaching for those, for those of us who have been around church for a while. But as I thought on the topic of grace, and as I thought about everybody gathered in here today, and even the struggles that I've had in my own life about walking this road with, with Christ, is I found that, you know, in regards to Christmas, in regards to thinking about Christmas, most of us have picked up the gift of salvation, right? Most of us who are in here, in this room this morning, are here this morning because we love Jesus and we, we've, we've, we've come into his family and we've had salvation. Uh, we've been reconciled to God through Jesus. But a lot of us have picked up the thing of salvation, said thank you to Jesus, and then turned back to the old husband, a lot of us here this morning would put up and, say, and put up our hands to say, yeah, I know I'm saved. I know I'm folded into the flock in Christ Jesus. But a huge majority of us as well would also say, you know, I feel so condemned because I'm not living up to what Jesus has defined in the Bible, to what Jesus has done, to how he has told us to live and what the other apostles told, commanded us to do. You know, I'm not living up to it. And we can do this thing. We can do this thing in our lives where we turn back to the old husband. So again, what Jesus did was he took his people who were married to the old husband, the law, and he killed the law <laughs> through him fulfilling it, dying on the cross, and he brought his bride, the church, into new life with him. But so many of us turn around and want to be associated with the old husband again because it's how our hearts operate sometimes, right? 
We think that we've still got to do all these things to be right with Jesus. We think that we've got to, you know, we hear about the person down the street and what their devotional life looks like. Oh, they read through the whole Bible this year. I, I better do that too. Or they wake up at a certain time in the morning to have, to, have, to, have, to have time with God. Oh man, I've got to do that too. Or they, they, they fast on a Tuesday and a Friday. Oh, I better do that too. We put all these things on our lives and deem them as necessary to walk with God. And what I believe Jesus wants to say here this morning is that you need to know my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. In Revelation 12, verse 10, it says this about the enemy. It says, The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And in Romans 8, verse 1 to 4, it says, But in, in contrast, Romans 8, 1 to 4 says, But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Forget this, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You know why he's saying this? Is because he was constantly having to wake people up to the reality is stop going back to the old law of sin and death and wake up to the reality of being married to your new husband, Christ Jesus. In Galatians 3.21 it said, For if a law had been given that can give, could give life, then righteousness would have indeed been by the law. But God knew that the law, that the commandments would never be enough to bring people back into life. It could never give life. Only Jesus could give us life by the power of his death and resurrection. The old husband can't give you that life. And further on in verse 23, it says, Now before faith came, we were held captive. Again, that thing, we were held captive under the law, in prison until the coming faith that would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And guardians are temporary, right? They're just holding positions. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And church, I want to remind you of this here this morning. Because again, like I've said, many of us have picked up the gift of salvation, but we've put down the gift by which it came to us. And the method by which salvation came to us is extremely important for us as we're here today because it changes everything. If I give you a gift, and it's a really good gift, someone, no, I won't go into that. But if I give you a gift, and it's a really good gift, and it came freely, right? The very definition of a gift is that it comes freely to you. And if it's this gift that lasts a really long time and you're you see me afterwards, and then, and then perhaps our relationship isn't so good and, and, and something like that. You can get into this mentality of like, oh, Andy gave me that amazing gift, but now I'm not living up to the relationship of what that gift means. Suddenly, you can turn a gift that is given freely to you, and you can just feel condemned by it because actually, I thought, you know, now that this gift was come, you probably want me to be perfect back to you, Right? But actually, Jesus doesn't require that of us. That is us turning back to the old law. God wants to set us free. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about the topic of grace. He said, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. And I want to say to us, church, if we remember the gift of salvation, but we forget the method of grace, we've lost it all. Grace changes everything. It changes our hearts to the lost. It changes our heart to the culture. It changes our heart to God itself because as soon as we think that we've got salvation because of something we did, we become self-righteous. The people that Jesus yelled at the most in the New Testament was the self-righteous people, so don't do that. But grace, the gift of salvation that came by the method of grace, has the ability to change the face of the planet. Grace is the foundation of which we stand. As I was reading and, and thinking about the topic of, of grace, and we, we start to think, yeah, but what about all the other things? I know by, you know, faith without works is dead and all this other stuff. And, and as I was reading, um, a guy by the name of Terry Virgo said this. He's like, you know, grace is like painting with watercolors. Now, I've never painted with watercolors, but he went on to say this. He's like, you know, when you first paint a watercolor, you've got to paint the sky. You've got to put in the beautiful color. It'll just look beautiful. But a child, when they're learning to paint, will get the sky right and then want to immediately go and paint the trees and the other things on the pictures. But actually, when you do that, when you paint with the one watercolor, but you don't wait until the first thing is dry, the, water, the, the picture ends up what? It ends up in a mess because all the colors and the things bleed into one another. And God wants to say to us this morning is that just like that watercolor, you've got to wait for that first foundation to be completely dry before you can paint on top of it. For us, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're in construction, it would be like building a house and not waiting for the cement foundation to be dry. You can try build the wall, but it's going to fall over because the foundation isn't dry yet. And church, the reality is for us, what grace is to us, it is the foundation of every good work that we want to do, of every good resolution, of everything in the law that we do want to follow because the law isn't abolished, it still shows what is good. But we can't do the law, we can't do the good deeds, we can't walk by Christ unless the foundation is firm. We've got to get this thing of grace right. In Ephesians 2, maybe this is a verse you're thinking about as I'm talking. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 9, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and see, and." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. He repeats it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Grace changes everything. And there is freedom in the house here this morning, church. I remember what it was like in my teenage years coming to church and spending the first three songs of church just feeling utterly condemned because of things that were going on in my life. I just, I just knew, I was like, I know I'm, like, I'm still going to come to church, I'm still, I'm still going to do it, but I, I know that I'm just not living up to it. And God wants to remind you that grace is a free gift, 
that if we could do anything to detract from that gift, then we're saying that Christ's sacrifice wouldn't be enough for us. Church, how can we get this right? How can we get this solid? How can we build on this foundation, the foundation that changes everything? Church, it's the message of grace that will change Nanaimo. It's the message of grace that brings someone from a hugely messed up past into relationship with God. So, many of the, so much of the time, we display as a church what it means to be righteous. We know what it's defined to be righteous, and we live in a culture who, who doesn't know God. <laughs> and it's easy when you live in a culture that doesn't know God to show them all the things of how they've disappointed God and how they don't live up to the mark. But church, it's grace that can change someone. It's grace that can offer a hungry person satisfaction. When Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, you know, drink from me, you know, I'm the, I'm the water, I'm, drink from me and you'll never go thirsty again. It was only by grace that we could enter in and do that. And we need to be secure in the grace that we've received. There's nothing that we can do without this grace without getting this foundation right. Our message this morning is, is a simple one. And I just want to land maybe with a couple of scriptures here as we, as we think. It's 11. It's, it was amazing to have the kids play. But, and this is a basic, basic sermon here this morning. But it's with the foundation that everything is laid. You know, again, Christ came. Christmas is so attractive because... God's literally in a box. He's literally in a manger. We can, we can put him in there and we can, we can get all the things that we like and we can you know, have it mean whatever we want to mean in a sense. But actually Jesus came because he was flipping the world upside down. He was turning everything on its head. Jesus came because for thousands and thousands of years, humanity had tried living righteous with God under their own strength. Even with God's help along the way with prophets and law and kings and all these other things, even with the support of God, they couldn't get it right. The meaning of Christmas is, yeah, salvation. Salvation is awesome. Salvation is the thing that gets us into God's family. But we should never forget the means at which it came to each of us by grace. Romans 5 says this, it says, when Adam sinned, this is talking about the Garden of Eden, the very first thing that went wrong in the world. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everybody sinned. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads us to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Me, guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. 
But even greater is the God's is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it and live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Church, isn't that good news? It's the news that changes everything. It's the reason why we can't be mopey, miserable Christians. If you know grace, if you wake up with grace, it's impossible to be sad because you know what Christ has done for you. And this morning, I want to say, if you don't know Christ, if you've, if you've never met him, if he's never come into your life or you've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, if you've never been healed by Jesus, if he's never done something in your heart to, to make you into that new creation, I want to say that we would love to meet you here this morning. Maybe you came here this morning because you heard about a Christmas play and, and you heard about, you, you know about Christmas is about a baby lying in a manger. But the, the reality is that baby grew up and he came to give you something that nobody else can give you. He came to give you something that you can't even earn or deserve. Not even the wealthiest of the wealthiest of the wealthiest people, if they gave all their money back to doing good, it would never be a righteous thing enough to be made right with God. The only way we can be made right with God is through accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The crazy thing about grace is it's so easy. It says if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths, if we believe in our hearts, there's another group of people here that at one point in time they believed in their hearts and they confessed with their mouths, but they've gone astray. I also want to say that God pours out his grace upon the prodigal children as well. That means the children that have gone away from him, but now he's calling back to himself. And just like the prodigal son, God is ready there with a robe of righteousness to place on you. That in fact, by his eyes, if you were saved back then, that he never took away. And as we close here, and I'll pray, I just, in this morning, I just kept adding scriptures, which is never a good thing on a Sunday morning when you want to preach less than, than half an hour. What I want to say, if you are a believer here this morning, Colossians 2 to 3 is just groundbreaking when we think of what Christ has done for us. And I just want to pick up some things here. From verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Verse 8 says, See that no one takes you captive. Verse 10 says, You have been filled in him who is the head, who is the head and rule and authority. Verse 12 says, having been buried with him in baptism, you in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The flip side of that law, church, the flip side of all the commands that we didn't live up to is that there were a bunch of legal commands. But verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he, set, he, sets aside, he sets this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Verse 16 says, no, let no one pass judgment. Verse 18 says, let no one disqualify you. 
And chapter 3, verse 1 says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Verse 3 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Echoes back to what Paul preached a few weeks ago about how we're clothed with the righteousness of God and what that means. It doesn't mean that we're free to do anything we want. Jesus says, actually, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. That's the walls on that foundation. But to do that without religion, to do that without being under the law, first you've got to get this thing of grace right. Church, will we pick up that thing of grace? I promise you it changes everything. When we start our days, when we start our weeks, when we start those tough interactions that we have all the time, in this society, it changes everything when we know the grace that we have been saved by. Amen? So let's pray. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. It's been an amazing morning here. Again, thank you to everyone who's involved in 180. There's just so many people we, we couldn't name. I actually see Justin Bergen there. Wave your hand, Justin. Uh, Justin will maybe head to the back as well, so you can ask him about those outreach things as well. And church, let's just pray. Lord, Father, we just thank you for this gift of grace. We thank you, Lord, that you took all the legal demands and nailed it to the cross. Man, what it would be, how much it would be if someone took our mortgage and nailed it to the cross. How much more by taking all the legal demands of all the wrongness in our lives, Lord God. And Lord God, we just open our hands this morning, Lord God, and we just pray that we would experience your grace afresh here today. Lord, many of us have come into relationship with you and we were astounded by grace when we first met you. But in the years since, we know that we're saved, but we've put down grace and we've picked up law. We've picked up all the things that we need to do. But Lord God, as we think about this Christmas season and what you came for, we focus in again on grace. We focus in again on what you did. We thank you, Lord, that the old husband is dead and we are now married to you for for those of us who are in you, Lord God. And Lord, we just pray that your spirit of grace would strengthen here today that it would renew, that we would be able to cast our burdens onto you, even burdens that we thought were from you. We cast those back onto you and say, we need your help. We need your grace more in this day. And we thank you, Lord, that it is sufficient. Your power is made perfect in weakness. Amen. Amen, church. How many weeks till Christmas? Anybody know? Two. Oh, I got to do some shopping. We'll be back here Christmas. Well, we're back here next week. But again, we're going to be doing a massive uh, Christmas Eve service. We hope that you join us. It's at 5 p.m. You've got invites on your seats. Please take those with you. You can put it up at your workplace or give it to that neighbor that you've been thinking about. We're so happy to have you. And if, if this is this topic of grace, if this is something where maybe you're just feeling far away from God right now. Sorry, guys, just hold on a second. If you're feeling far away from God right now or you don't know God, we would love to meet you up at the front here. But otherwise, have a great week. And have a Merry Christmas. Thank you.